You are listening to Savage Wonder, a podcast about warriors and artists. It's long-form one-on-one conversations with veterans in the arts. This show is produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a tax-exempt, nonprofit, 501c3 organization, providing a platform for talented veterans to create compelling live theater and events in order to enhance, enliven, and invigorate American theater and the live performance arts. My guest this week is Army veteran, uh, comedian, documentarian, autobiographical documentarian, Chris Sparks. Um, this was an interview I was not looking forward to doing. I'll say that right off the bat um, for, for a very simple reason. So Chris and I um, connected on Instagram like everybody does nowadays and like I seem to do now all the time. Um, and he was like, hey, I did this documentary. It's won a bunch of awards. And he sent it to me. And then due to the vagaries of life and, and very boring mundane details, I completely fucked up the timeline and, you know, like had to reschedule the the interview and I hadn't had time to watch the documentary and I was like, oh shit. So I sat down and watched the documentary completely before we did this interview, right before. And I went from like going, okay, cool. Hey, this will be interesting. I haven't had a documentarian on in a while to going, fuck, I don't, I'm not sure I'm ready to talk to this dude. And it was for the simple reason that he had shot the documentary in two days and the, the, the documentary is time and uh, you know, it's got a, you know, time date group on it. So, you know, when he's, you know, and you know how recently he was shooting this is shooting it in October, in August, we're in November and it's all about him. It's all about his mental, mental health struggles, his struggles with the mental health system, his struggles with his family's concerns about his mental health. And the show is called thank me for my service, a veterans cry for help. And I was like, it's too fresh, man. It's too raw. It's, it's raw in every sense of the word. It's raw technically and it's raw subject matter wise. And I was like, the flash to bang is too fast. I was like, there hasn't been any cool off period on this. I was like, is he going to have the perspective to talk objectively about the film? And am I, you know, and I always joke on the show that I feel like I'm sometimes playing amateur psychiatrist with my guests, but I was like, I don't really want to be amateur psychiatrist. And I was like, but you know, he's the subject matter here. Um, not just for the show, but the, the documentary is all about his mental health. I was like, I'm not sure I'm qualified to talk with him about that. And so that kind of, you know, put me on edge. I was like, you know, it's not my place to fucking get into his head and figure all this shit out. Um, so I was nervous. I was like, eh, you know, I don't know. I was like, but you know, we started talking. He's a fucking great dude. Um, humble, articulate, funny. Um, and, and, you know, uh, appropriately honest about himself, you know, um, and calling bullshit on himself and, and also, you know, seeing himself, I think with, with pretty clear eyes. So it ended up being a really fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I was glad as somebody that, you know, liked the guy I was looking at that I could also give feedback about what I thought about the film and 
what I wanted to see in the film in addition to what he showed, which I won't get into here because you'll hear all that in the interview. But um, just such a good dude and so open to critique and to feedback and um, clearly so much subject matter there um, that can be mined, not just for this film, uh, you know, not, not just for this documentary or for the one man show that he is developing around the documentary, but for projects, you know, for years to come. So I was glad we got to talk, but it was not without its, uh, <laughs> without my neuroses up front. Cause I was like, man, this is, this is going to be a, you know, a raw look at this dude. Anyway, Chris is a great dude. Um, I had a great time talking about it. I'm kind of filibustering because I'm trying to remember if there's anything else I really need to tell you in the course of this. Oh, yes, there is. See, I knew there was something else, and I should really take notes so I don't have to think on my feet while I'm recording these intros. But um, during the course of the show, we get into uh, talking about physical therapy stuff and injuries and overcoming stuff like that, and I give a big shout out to my experience with Bikram yoga. And I say in it, I can't remember what exactly I said. I said something to the effect of, you know, uh, before he was charged with sexual assault or something. Um, and basically all the yoga, all the Bikram yoga studios had to take Bikram off their name. I should clarify that. Um, I don't think charges were ever brought. I should really probably look this up. Um, Cause uh, you know, not trying to slander the guy unnecessarily. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, he was accused. Yeah. So there were rape allegations that were made. There were uh, allegations of sexual assault, but no criminal charges were ever brought up against Bikram. So just making that clear. So when you hear that in the episode, um, I think I just say, hey, there's, you know, <laughs> there's, a, uh, you know, uh, he was tarnished with the brush of sexual assault. Again, not passing judgment on it. I'm just saying technically, factually, no criminal charges were brought against him. I think there were civil charges brought against him that, that have been gang paid out, but there were no criminal charges brought against him for what that's worth. Anyway. Okay. That's all very boring stuff. That's what I get for speaking extemporaneously. I should say that's also a credit to the conversation Chris and I were having where it just became two dudes sitting there talking and bullshitting like we're having lunch. And uh, so I'm not thinking <laughs> about the audience and about, uh, you know, what I'm saying there. Anyway, uh, so there's that note. Other than that, uh, I think you guys know everything you need to know in order to fully enjoy this episode. Um, I've linked to the film in the show notes to thank me for my service, a veteran's cry for help. And um, check it out. Tell me what you think. Tell me if you agree or disagree. Um, I'd love to hear other people's reactions. And I think it's important when people, when veterans make the effort to address mental health issues creatively, uh, I think it's important for veterans to chime in and give feedback and watch it and square it with their experience. Um, I think it's part of the community. You know, it's part of building community. Um, with veterans in the arts and uh, accurately representing the, the veteran experience um, or at least empathizing with one veteran's experience. So on that note, I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. I'm the artistic director at Veterans Repertory Theater, and this is the Savage Wonder 
of Chris Sparks. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you very much, Chris. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's going to sound like a uh, like a truly schizophrenic episode. We're going to keep going, hey, Chris, hey, Chris, hey, Chris. And just keep the accent. That way I'm they'll know who's it. who. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know, man. I mean, listening to previous episodes, um, you could, I mean, I don't know if you've done any narration, man, but geez, you got a nice voice. Oh, I could, thanks, man. Yeah, you, could, well. you could you could probably read me right to sleep if uh, if we had the right material. That, that that's a, that's a great. Uh, yeah, well, if, it, if we get to that point, then we're both in real trouble. Well, uh, clearly, see, it will have been a really why, boring episode. That's why. That's why I highlight the material aspect. There is that. You know, we're gonna we're gonna keep it fresh here. We'll, we'll keep it spicy. The appropriate we'll spicy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm actually, don't mind me if I if you see me peek over. I'm uh, I'm keeping up with this uh, USA Iran match that just started. Uh, Was that is that soccer? The World, World Cup. World yeah, Cup. yeah, yeah. We got gotcha. got a win. Got a win today, or uh, we come back without even leaving group stage, which I don't know. I guess we should be happy we're there. But are you a soccer fan? I played in high school. Um, I don't really care outside of um, World Cup and, I guess, Olympics, really. I don't follow it too, too closely. You're not watching, like, Premier League or anything like that? You don't no, do anything? No, no. I mean, I, I keep up with, you know, I'm familiar with all Ronaldo's recent drama and whatnot. But, um, I'm a, I, I mean, I watch ESPN. So, like, as much as they cover it is as much as I'm really going to get exposed to it. Gotcha. Um, but I know what it's like to run way too much in a ninety-minute span. Gotcha. So I gotcha. Fun to yeah, watch guys do it. Watch somebody else doing it. Yeah, exactly. No, that's fair. Um, well, you're kind of an anomaly in a lot of respects, right? Because you were an artist way before you ever joined the military, right? This was something right. that you were almost from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, I I, I always um definitely was into um the arts like anything i mean like in elementary school i was i won like talent shows for doing like the jitterbug and like weird things like that um so like there's always been someone to be like hey you're cute now dance for us or something silly like that um whether it was like my older sister and like her friends or um silly talent shows I, I like when i have a twin brother so like there's a there's a bit of a rivalry aspect there um so i mean when we were kids like the we grew up in a small town um st francisville louisiana so like there's really nothing going on um but for some reason we had a town newspaper in 1995 six whatever um and so when that was going on like we were playing like street hockey and stuff like this outside. And then this lady that worked for the paper would just like ride around and try to like find us outside and like interview us and ask us what we were up to that day. Like, this is how small this publication wow. is. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and like when I was four, Forrest Gump was my favorite movie. Um, like I was just kind of really into Edward Scissorhands, um, just like things that didn't really make sense for a four-year-old. Um, and were you so, into sports? Were you were you a sports kid even at a young age? Or yeah. Were you um. Arts so kid? my 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 dad, I was I was never really an arts kid outside okay. of like. I don't. I mean, so my dad was an athlete, um, kind of a, uh, 
he's he's a laid back guy, but he's definitely like a, a man's man kind of kind of dude. So he played baseball, and so we were kind of expected to to do that as well. Um, my brother was always better than me growing up, so it was almost kind of like I had to find some sort of niche that was going to be my thing. So I guess I always turned to like music or. Um, I think like looking back on it, I kind of feel like I didn't pursue it as heavily as I could have. Like I wasn't in drama in high school or anything like that. Mm. Um, there was a moment in middle school where I, uh, tried out for cheerleading just to see if I could do it. And then I made it. And then, um, like immediately I got, you know, splurs and all kind of stuff. And so like, like a coward, I like quit because I like couldn't take it. What was the allure of that? What was the allure of cheerleading? Was it like a dare just to see if you had the cojones so, to do it so and go against that's, type? That's the that's the low hanging fruit, right? Like, um, I think that's like the rumor that got around was that like I just did it on a dare and I was always going to quit or whatever. Uh-huh. But I think like I had a lot of friends um, growing up who were who were girls that like I didn't have any reason to hang out with them other than like to be pursuing them as like a girlfriend, which like I was. I was into girls like very young. Like I always had a little girlfriend that like, obviously doesn't mean anything at that age, but it was hard to to have a friendship with a girl and it not be labeled as something or whatever. So I think looking back on it, it was kind of a way for me to spend time with them without having to be committed to like this uh, rumor or I don't know, whatever kids think at that age. Um, but you were a sensitive kid because you're getting along with sure. women well. You had a sen- anybody likes Edward Scissorhands at a young age is probably yeah. got a pretty sensitive dude. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I think right? so um, for sure. And you know, I, I could identify with Force. Uh, you know, little love affair with Jenny, uh-huh. um, as simple as he could be. Um, so yeah, I think I think there's always been some element of. Um, I think like part of it too is the way that I was raised. It was kind of like your behavior will always be satisfactory, right? There's an expectation of you um, in a public setting. I was raised Catholic. So like, I think there's a lot of things that play there that kind of shaped me into who I am, like good or bad. Mm. Um, And I think there's also an element of, of like, you know, how to behave and how not to behave. And I think I just kind of took that and, and made it into my own thing. Did that make you more conformist or did that make you rebel against conformity? Oh, I, I mean, I was, I got a, I got a, I got a technical foul assessed to me in bitty basketball. So I don't know if that, that answers that question. I don't think anybody yeah. had ever been teed up in bitty basketball before, <laughs> but um, I think, and it was, it was after the, if I remember correctly, I mean, I was probably nine or 10 years old, but the, we were down. We weren't good. And uh, team scores a bucket, and they didn't stop the clock. They ran the clock, and the game ended. I wanted the ball back and just to get a shot off. And so they ran clock. I turned to the referee, who's also like my PE coach. And I'm like, hey, Coach Paul, they should have stopped the clock. And he's like, no, game's over. And I spiked the ball in response. And then he teed me up and then brought everyone back onto the floor just to have just the, to the winning shots. team to take the shots. <laughs> they could, he did, he did not pull any punches on me. He was like, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to do this the right way. 
Was that was um, that the start of more uh, anti-authoritarian behavior, or was that the end of it? That crush your soul and and make no, you go, or that's enough. It didn't. It didn't crush me. I think the next year I had a coach who um, had called me a ball hog to my face. Um, so like, and like he and I had like a, had to have like a meeting with like someone with like the head of the league to be like, Hey, are you guys going to work out? And that's Damn. Like 10 years old, dude, you know? Holy crap. Um, so anyway, we sucked, you know what I mean? Like it didn't, it didn't matter who had the ball. <laughs> we were, it was like a co-ed thing. And I mean, it's, it's St. Francis of Louisiana. So you got like maybe six kids are worth watching out here. And it's just, everyone's parents just hoping for the best. Right. Uh, so where, where did that lead you then? By the time you were in high school, what were you? Um, were you a jock? Were you I was No, I, I kind of got away from the arts in high school. I think um, my freshman year, um, I was pretty heavy into baseball. And then I played snare drum um, in the band. Um, and I'd been doing that since I was like 12. Um, I was pretty good. Um, and so I guess that was kind of my artistic expression at that point. Um, did you think about doing a band, like actually starting a band outside of, no, I mean, outside of, outside of like playing rock band, dude, like I'm trash on a, on a kit. Really? Like, I mean, I got to work on my coordination because like, there's like, I can play like quarter beat stuff. Like I can, I can, I can do it like a party trick. I can do enough stuff to make you believe that I can play. But like, as far as playing in a band, it's not really anything that I've ever had. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of hard to put a kit together whenever you're that, unless someone's like, Hey kid, here's a drum set. Right. Right. Kind but of you didn't happen. care enough. You didn't care enough to chase it around. You were like, not really. So, well, it's, and well, whenever I was then so the, our school band is kind of modeled after a HBCU kind of type, like swag band. Gotcha. Um, we're pretty, we're right down the road from Southern. So like straight, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. feeder into those um, kind of programs. I mean, it was pretty serious. Like we had battle of the band contests and like all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like it, it, it kept me pretty busy as much as I wanted to be with it. Really? Like when we, once we rolled into like parade season and Mardi Gras and stuff like that, um, it would get like, Hey man, when's this going to end? Really? Um, yeah 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 so um i think outside of that it got kind of it wasn't fun we had a really um awesome uh director my freshman year mr taylor and then he ended up getting a job at like a really big school in alabama so he took it and then the guy who came in and replaced him i don't know what it was i think our just like personalities clashed, and we just didn't really get along to me it wasn't fun anymore whenever he came like i I was one of two snare drummers. I was a section leader as a sophomore. And then he, he let the other snare drummer be the drum major, Mm. which is like, traditionally you would have one, but if you only have two snare drums, you're probably going to want to hold on to both of them. So because he made that decision, I was kind of like, that's, that takes away from my ability to do anything. It, 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 makes my left and right limits a lot smaller because now I have to play half notes and like, make sure like I'm keeping uh, pace now. So I can't riff. I can't. Got you. And and these are things that I could be doing, but like, he was like, I don't want you to do anything other than like these little half notes and stuff. And I'm like, dude, people are like in the stands to come sit next to us to kind of see me go off on these, you know, little breaks and, and stuff like that. So it made it not fun anymore. So 
I I didn't come back the next year. So my junior and senior year, I wasn't in band. The band actually just like kind of dissipated. It was probably like, I don't know, 30 people my senior year. Wow. Total. We went from probably like 70, 75 my freshman year down to those numbers. Um, and that's probably a reflection of that kind of set up whatever his he was a, he was a little bit more of a hardcore guy um so, but yeah so so I, I got away from the arts i guess in that sense and then got really heavy into baseball my freshman year i mean i was never let's just be clear i was never going to be bigger than 5 10 175 pounds right at best um but my freshman year i had this game just right place right time um I had a really good game and then the brave scout came up to my mom after the game and gave her his card and was like, you know, we'll be in touch and everything. And so when that happened, I was like, Oh, okay. Like stop everything Holy else. Shit. I'm yeah. going to play baseball. Um, but I ended up like having some pretty, uh, like crappy outings in my like summers of my junior senior years that like didn't, really helped me at all but i was also going through a lot of the stuff um that you'll like see in the dock with my mom mm-hmm. and everything all of that was going on while i was in high school so um i'm dealing with all that stuff while trying to maintain all these expectations um so yeah like my gpa was crap like you can't you can't play ball anywhere if you got a you know a, a 2.0 gpa and you're sure. you know five ten and you know, throwing 83 miles an hour. It just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're not, you're not at the top were you of the list at that point. Is that what yeah, you were? I pitched. Okay. Yeah. I pitched, I pitched and played outfield. Um, and, uh, yeah. So after that, I played, I played like a summer league for, uh, for this like community college nearby. And then at that point, it was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to play here. So I just kind of, that's whenever I stopped. Playing. I still played like AAU ball, I think, for like the next two summers. Um, but like it wasn't, it was just to really have fun. It wasn't really in, in seriousness. But at that time, I had already started doing stand up as well. So I was kind of, I was, I had spent that spring in New Orleans and then summer I was back in Baton Rouge playing baseball. Uh, and you were going to community college while you, when you started stand up? Yeah, yeah. I was actually I was at Delgado, which is in New Orleans, and it was the the spring semester of 2010 when the Saints won the Super Bowl. Okay. So it was like we go to class, and they'd be like, "Hey, if we win this weekend, we don't have class next week." And then we just kept winning, and they were like, "Oh shit! Like we haven't had class in six weeks." And, and so, you, uh, what? How did you feel about about yourself at this point? I mean, so now. Did you feel like you'd lost an opportunity with baseball? Like, Hey, that dream died. Or did you think it was a natural ebb and flow? And you're like, no, to the next thing. Yeah. I think it was a natural ebb and flow. I wasn't too broken up about it. Um, and I was definitely at that point, I knew that I was going to try to pursue something artistic. I just didn't really know what that was going to look like. I'd had like a, I'd had a couple meetings with, like these um, pretty small production companies in Baton Rouge, but I don't, none of them really seemed like we had like like minds creatively or anything like that. So, to do what? What did you think you were going to do with them? 
So they were they were talking about well they were talking about um, me hosting like this radio show. This is like before mm. podcasting and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they're talking about me hosting a radio show, and then I don't know maybe developing something else. But the guy was a writer for DreamWorks, I think. Mm. Um, I think he wrote on Finding what is it Finding Nemo DreamWorks. I don't remember. I'd be making sure. it up, but yeah, um, one of those. Um, projects that was his you know credential um so and how'd you get in front of them how'd you even i think craigslist them? dude i think really? at that time like craigslist was still pretty active with like you know uh just listings for different gigs and and things like that i mean that was like pretty what, much what was the, the gig that, what were they what were they advertising for on craigslist oh i don't know if i remember like um I, production company seeking talent huh Wow. In Baton Rouge, something like that. Um, so did you know. show I mean, up I with just, like 80 other people or like? Uh, uh, I don't it... remember. There weren't that many people. Wow. I remember thinking whenever I was there, like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Gotcha. Yeah. So like along with like what I know, what I remember of what I knew of the guy's background, I remember thinking like, eh. So we'll just keep you... it pushing. Yeah. So did you see stand up as a means to an end or did you just kind of fall into it? Not really have any idea what you were doing with it. No, I, I didn't know what I was doing, man. I, um, I say in the doc, like I really was like every week I'd go to an open mic and I was writing a new set for every week. And I thought the guys yeah. who were like, who were, I thought the guys who were repeating material were trash. Like that's how little I knew about any of it. Hey, you're like Richard um, Pryor, man. Pryor used to do that. He brought I, his material after every set. It's fucking incredible. Know, you could have been it's, a legend, man. No, dude, that's so irresponsible. I feel like it was, <laughs> so that's that's ultimately what got to me, dude, was the um I would like forget a line or forget a joke or something like that. And feeling like I wasn't gonna deliver it again. That shit was like way more bothersome to me than it should have been. Got you. And that's gotcha. what I mean, really, when I say, like, I didn't know what I was doing. Is that, like, I was just struggling, dude, trying to stay up in that environment. So, yeah, it, it got to a point where, like, I'd, I'd be after a show and I'd be, like, super hard on myself. And sure. And everybody would be like, dude, I didn't even notice, you know, that you missed a line or whatever. Right. And, um, but, what like, you the- couldn't you couldn't tell me anything. Well, what were the sets like? Was it open mics you were doing? Was it bringer yeah, shows? Yeah, I was doing open. I was doing. Yeah, I was. I was doing open mics, and then I started opening for this one guy at like these weird places. Dude. I mean, we were talking about like sushi restaurants. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and New Orleans comedy, dude, is just like not. It's never been very big. Like right now is as big as it's really ever been. And there's probably, I don't know, there's probably like fifteen to twenty. Uh, comedians like in the city that are like regularly working. Okay. Um, are there, is there like one big room in, in new Orleans? What's the scene like? How many clips? Oh man, not really. It's like a bunch of small stuff. So like probably, okay. um, howling wolf is pretty big. Uh, but I mean, nothing over, probably nothing over a hundred seats. Well, that's fair. I mean, uh, yeah. that's, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's not crazy. But, yeah. but I mean, they're dedicated stand-up clubs, though, that like people... Not really. Oh, no. really? No, no. All of them are two-timing is something else. 
really no shit like what yeah like, yeah like legit theater or like what else no they... no like a bar like like it's a, oh, really like everything everything is a bar with like a one foot stage in the corner wow interesting yeah. and were they paying or was it was there no paying games? a lot of them a lot of them are, are split in door okay that's that's basically what you're doing and then you can you can work that out with whoever you're bringing with you um, are, are is the expectation that you're producing your own set that you're going in there striking up your own deal like there's no set like hey thursday nights this is our booker they book 15 comics for the night it's not that it's like hey if you want to play here come in make us an offer and we'll cut a deal with you that's been my experience at least Interesting. so there are wow. there are dedicated shows like i mean there are people that are doing shows regularly at these at these different bars and stuff that are using like the same people generally. Okay. Um, but I don't think it's, it's not really, it's kind of like you, you go around to the open mics and then somebody kind of snatches you up and says, Hey, I got a show gotcha. in 10 days over here. I need somebody to open for me. Okay. Um, that kind of thing. It's, it's not really a dedicated, there's no one really running a circuit. Right. Out right. Here, you, you see? Gotcha. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what was drawing you to stand up? Why did you start doing stand up? I think, man, I mean, I think it's just the one way medium. Like, you can't, you just have to hear me out, you know. And I think some of that has to do with me being a twin. Some mm. of that has to do with me being, you know, having, being parented the way that I was. Like, you know, you don't get to talk back. There's no, you don't get to voice your opinion. It's not a matter of discussion, that, that sort of thing. Um, so when I realized like, Hey, there's this medium where, you know, you just go and everybody just kind of has to sit there. Um, I was like, okay. <laughs> also a little, ball hog. there's a little ball hog in that there, too. There's right? a little ball. I mean, look, dude, I've been hamming it up my whole life and I would just argue that it's not really my fault. Like I was, I've been like, I've, I've been, groomed by like my older sister her friends like all like i my my older sisters one of my older sister's best friends in high school was first cousins with britney spears okay so i always thought like any day <laughs> britney's calling the house dude britney's calling the house and and they would get like once every three months, they would get one of their friends to call up my house and prank call and ask for me and say, it's Brittany. Every time I'm like, Oh, this is, could be her. You know, I didn't did, learn. Was there, was there a part of you that did kind of, uh, I'm, I'm going to put this too strong, but like, like fetishize the celebrity game. Like, like, Oh shit. There's somebody that's really done something, moved the needle in some way, in some medium. Was that something that appealed to you or was that never really in your mind except, you know, occasionally just like, oh, yeah, she's Britney Spears cousin or something? Um, I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, sure let me, no, it's all right. Let me let me let me yeah. let me refine it. Um, so let me, I'll, I'll take the scenic route to this question. Um, my thought when I think back to my my limited time as a stand up was yeah. what appealed to me about it was that it was completely entrepreneurial. I okay, was sure. I, the buck yes. stopped with yes. me totally. Yes. yes. And that yes. was really appealing. But mm -hmm. also I saw it as 
I didn't aspire to be a celebrity. I aspired to right. be good at my craft. Yeah. But I can also respect that a lot of people did look at stand up and go, hey, this is the clearest path A to B to become more than what I am and mm-hmm. to kind of get the recognition that I deserve. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of a lot of comics have that. And mm-hmm. at the at the risk of sounding like I'm being self-congratulatory, maybe I didn't have that as much. But mm-hmm. uh but you know <laughs> but that's because I think you need to have that. You need yes, you, yes. you need to have that deep desire for the mm-hmm. eyeballs to be on you. So yeah. I guess that's what I'm asking is do you feel and I'm I'm basing this also on what you said like the ball hog sure you know you'd also sure, have like real no. promise as a mm-hmm. baseball player. Right. Sure. Like you'd had you. So you clearly were a talented dude. It was yeah. just a matter of like, were you looking for your medium to break through? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think my point, I definitely uh, identify with what you said about having total control. Like mm-hmm. it is my show. I know what I'm going to say. Um, if I fuck it up, it's on me. Like, honestly, that's what it is. Like if it's fucked up, it's my fault. I can't be upset with anybody. Like it's, it's on me. I'd rather put myself in that position than I don't know. Well, I don't know how I would react as a director. Mm. You know what I mean? If, if I got, you know, I got to run this team of 20, 30 people right. and make sure that this, you know, there, there are compromises that are going to be made in those situations right. where right. you can always go back and cherry pick right. something that you didn't like and then just be upset about it. So, I definitely that appeals to me in this medium is that it is on me. I have control over it. I can do it if I want to. I don't I can do it this way, I can do it that way. Um but as far as my like speaking it out or anything like that, I think it might be more arrogant than that in that my point is that I can probably do whatever I want. And you knew, or, or let me put this in the form of a question. Did you know that you could be world-class at something? You just had to figure out what the medium was. Was there that kind of sense? I don't know. I don't know about world-class, but I know that I had, like, I have a voice. I have a place. Um, There's enough content out there. There's enough bad content out there that, like, I was confident that I could piece together a documentary in six days. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, and not, and not take time and be like, Oh, be precious about it. Or mm-hmm. to me, like, I hate calling it a documentary. I hate calling it a film. I hate calling it a movie. Like to me, it's, it's literally an experience. Like you're going through yeah. a 48 hour window of time and you're just watching me deal with that shit. Yeah. And so I'm just simply trying to when when the monologue, I'm taking what I have of the one man show, trying to just get it out onto my phone via video only to then dictate it back into Microsoft Word so that I could copy and paste it from there and put it into copyright.gov. Got you. We, I guess let's, you, I, I'm tempted to stick with the timeline, but since you brought it up, let's, let's dive into the movie a little bit. Sure. Um, Cause how can we not? Mm-hmm. Um, Tell me about the process. How much planning went into filming it? Because for me watching sure. it, I'll, I'll preface this just by saying for me watching it, when you start off by saying, or early on in the movie, when you say, 
um, I'm trying to work on my one man show. I was like, oh, wait, so is this not the one man show? But it mm-hmm. sounds like it is like you put it on film, but now you're transposing it back into a live mm-hmm. performance medium. Right. Right. So how much of that was intended and how much of that was mapped out ahead of time? Yeah. So um, originally, like from what you see of the first uh, the first real shot set up where I'm in the hotel room, anything you see that's a full screen shot was intended for me to be for me to use in like a B-roll manner for like an opening to the one man. Okay. So that's what you're seeing. That's what that is original. As I'm creating it in my mind, that's what I'm making. I'm not thinking about making a movie, a documentary, anything like that. I'm thinking this is going to play on a screen at the one man like opening. So you'll be doing a live performance and that'll be on a screen behind you basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so all of that was intended to use for the one man. Um, and then the, the monologue portion, I've, I've, I've performed pieces of it already. Um, and not really much of that is on there. That's just like really act three. Um, of what you see in the in the documentary of, of me in the monologue that's just coming from act three and i mean we can talk about as much of the one-man show you want to and whenever that's relevant but um so then sorry i'm getting a phone call so then um so as i'm there and i'm just trying to put everything on copyright.gov and then kind of go further into workshopping some ideas. I'm also performing every night while I'm there. Um, and I'm realizing at that time that it is pulling a lot of my energy to do it. It was hard. Like the, the, the way that this came up was that like, I was trying to write jokes about all these things. And then I just, I kept struggling and kept struggling and kept struggling. And I was like, Oh, it's because none of this shit is funny. You know, so you like intended. So initially, you wanted this to be a comedy. Initially, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a strong move. hundred like percent. I like yeah. that a lot. That's a great impulse. Um, and then yeah, as it kept, as everyone kept, like, and what what was frustrating for me throughout that process was that I knew what would make people worry, and I knew what I could do to alleviate that. So I was, I, I just went to my aunt who um is is a person that's really close to me and has been for a long time and i said hey i'm gonna go work on this i'm staying at this hotel this is my room number i don't want to be bothered by anybody like i just um i just left my house and everything so like everybody's understandably concerned but what i need at that time is for everyone to trust that i'm not going to hurt myself I don't have any, you know, ill will or anything like that. I just need space to work on this and like, we'll be good. But that didn't happen. You know, like I I didn't get that from anybody. No one took that and was understanding of it or anything like that. So the whole time I'm in the hotel trying to work on this, I'm fielding phone calls from cousins, aunts, uncles, my grandmother, my mom. So, uh, you're seeing me kind of go from 
all right, like I'm, I'm telling you exactly what I, what I need in this moment that, that you think I'm in this moment of despair. Right. And I'm very clearly asking for something and no one's respecting that yet. They're sending me hotlines. They're sending me uh, all these like veteran resource stuff for like crisis and stuff like that. Right. And it's just at that point, I'm just like, this is so, this is such a surface level of concern. It makes me feel like people are more so nosy than they are truly concerned about my state of mind or, or whatever their, their thing is. So that's how I kind of go into, and I've always had an, an, a bit of an issue with, I think as veterans, we do a bad job of knocking down that charade of like, we're all trained badasses and like mm-hmm. that. Cause, cause there truly are many of us that are that, that are exactly that. Right. But as soon as like six of them get on TikTok, we all want to be on our chest and pretend like that was our experience. Right. Right. You know, and it's just not the case. Like we all go through shitty things, but it's to me and my experience, like I don't when I don't know, I say it in there, like when when Vietnam vets get spat on when they came back, you know, and as soon as I sign a contract, I'm a hero. That's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. So you're kind of seeing me deal with this moment in my life where like, I don't want to have to answer these questions about my service anymore. I don't want to blame things on my service anymore. I'm so tired of having to relate everything to my service. Just let me be who I've known myself to be and everything will be fine. Let's talk about that because you bring that up at multiple points uh, um, during the film. Mm-hmm. You know, ex- so there are a couple things that you kept coming back. I mean, there are a bunch of things you kept coming back to thematically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you keep saying you you know who you are. Mm-hmm. Who are you in your mind? Um, is it the artist? Is it a comic? Is it uh, what, what do you what do you define that as? What is it that I- you wanted people to understand? I, at the most basic level, I would consider myself a storyteller Mm. and whatever medium I decide to do that in, I am capable. Um, Now, do you feel like, sorry, I just want to follow that that thread for mm -hmm. one second. Do you feel that people were not giving you the space to be the storyteller or were they not giving you the space to just get away from the labels and the trauma of your veteran status or whatever they yeah, wanted to yeah, attribute it to. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the second one. I mean, okay. like it's always, you know, like it's the problem is like society paints us all with a broad brush. Right. So once people hear that you were in the service or whatever, like they think they know you. Sure. And it's like, oh, because I had an uncle who was in the Air Force, so right. I get it. And right. it's like, okay, but like I appreciate, you know what I mean? Like I don't, uh, it sounds kind of like a dick, but like I'm just tired of having these same conversations that are not stimulating in any way for me. Um, and I think a lot of veterans do want to have those conversations, and I think they should be able to have those conversations if that's what they want to do. And I really don't mind 
telling my experience to people. Um, but it's like, there, there are a lot of conversations with people that I don't know that I'm not going to get into stuff like, like it's like friends of family or like whatever. Right. It'll always, yeah. you get introduced to somebody and they're like, Oh, this one was in the army. Okay. Right. Right. How is that still relevant? dude? Yeah. Um, I mean, well you, but you get why that is though too. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's I do. obviously it's like, you know, hey, if you were an astronaut and you'd gone to the moon, people are going to say, hey, you know, he was an astronaut and went to the moon. It's like it's that <sighs> rare that people are going to probably glom onto it because it's just an easy toll for them yeah, to understand. Yeah. I get that. I, I think I think most of the time, though, it's not with that. I don't know. It seems it never seems it always seems like a disingenuous interaction. Mm. Anytime I have one of those where it's like someone I don't know mm-hmm. and. um or like like some of the worst things I hear people ask are like, did you ever kill anyone? Mm-hmm. Like things like that. Like whenever I hear people right. say those things, that like why are we even having these conversations? You see, like that's that. I think that's my issue is that that's how we get down that road is by mm-hmm. having these these falsehoods that like we're we're all into all that shit. And like even those of us who had to do terrible things like that, we're gonna be so enamored by it or like or even in a place to discuss it with somebody who's like has offhand knowledge of of your Mm -hmm. experience is kind of i think to sum up everyone's service with this broad brush i think does all of us as individuals a i hate saying a disservice yeah you know yeah no that's Um, fair i think that's kind of my point and i think i'm really and i know that like i know people have good intentions and stuff and i think i i try to I don't know. I do my best in there to try to say, like, I understand the intentions are all good. I think we're all misguided in a way to believe that that's something that we as veterans need from other people. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. This is, this dovetails on something that um, I think people who listen to the show are going to roll their eyes because they've heard me say a bunch, but it's uh, part of this is my problem with the word veteran itself. And when I say mm-hmm. I have a problem, that doesn't mean I'm going on a jihad to make everybody stop sure. calling veterans, veterans. Right. Right. Insane. But, um, but I think the term veteran is inherently problematic if for no other reason that it's inherently backward looking. If you call yourself a veteran, it's about what mm-hmm. you did. Sure. So then yes. by nature, you are always going to be anchored to that in some way. And it's sometimes hard to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, you know, just like anything, if you, were abused as a kid and you, and you constantly are like, Hey, I was abused. You're, it's gonna be hard to push past Mm -hmm. it. Um, Mm -hmm. that said, sometimes the labels are necessary for good reasons or bad. You want a discount and you go, Hey, I want the veteran discount. Okay. Well then you're going to have to own all the aspects of calling yourself a veteran. Right. See. Yeah. I, I hate veteran discounts. I think, I think if you want to give me a 10% discount, you can kind of go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? Like, well, see, see, I wouldn't say that because I I would say, you see, and this is where this is something I talked about on the show with JC Glick a while ago because he wrote a great piece for Havoc about um, mm. about uh, don't thank me for my service, yeah. and and I was like, well, the 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 problem I have is like we're on the standing on the shoulders of that Vietnam era generation, right? So as opposed to being spat at, it's like, right, we, we're, we like, are taken care of in a way we're that we're, we're taking we're taking care of in a way they weren't, and I and yeah. I I will take. I will take the um, automatic knee jerk, even insincere. Thank you for your service I over see. somebody going, fuck you fucking baby yeah. killer. It's like, yeah. Hey, look, just 
I like that's fine. I th- b- between me and God, I can have an honest conversation about sure. whether or not you're sincere and all that, and I can I can adjust for how sincere I think you are with saying that. <laughs> sure. But that's sure. a hell of a lot better than everybody going fuck you, we're fucking yeah, yeah. fascist. Like well, so, to me, I'm like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You're 100. Well, see, that's kind of the point that I make is that like those guys didn't get that. So let's not pretend that like right. we're not doing what they did. We did not sit in the rivers of Ho Chi Minh City. You know what I mean? We didn't dig trenches. You know, we didn't storm beaches. So the idea that we have it so much better than them is a little bit, especially when when they're still struggling with Agent Orange. Um, you got the um, the legislature issues going on with the uh, the shit burners. Right, and, right, and their their um, rights and benefits and everything. Well, it's like six of one half does the other, though, right? Because then you've got guys that you know had thirteen deployments, and then you know mm-hmm. Vietnam era. It's like, hey, one and done. I mean, right. like I think there's always there's always going to be a shit sandwich somewhere, yeah. and and yeah. and I don't think that dismisses anybody's service. But no. you're 100 percent right. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely they definitely did not get taken care of in a way that at least nominally. We've been able to right. go, hey, I right. appreciate you ticking the boxes. It may not right. be sincere. It may not be the best thing ever, but it's a shit ton better than what it was. And that's something. sure. Sure. I get that. And I don't want anyone to misunderstand me when I speak that way in that there are truly some bad motherfuckers who have been overseas way more times than they should have been, um, sure. who 100 percent deserve, you know, to have their feet washed whenever they get home. <laughs> but right. that's like. Right. We're talking about, we're talking about a hundred guys. Uh, well, nobody thinks that's them. Every, you know every, I mean? no, it doesn't oh, matter who you are. Yeah, everybody yeah, goes, you're right. oh, that's not me. There was, uh, there was 80 guys better yeah, than me. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, it's like, and that's, I think that, that, um, a good healthy modesty that everybody should have about their service, which sure. I think is fair. Let's talk about that though. Um, so I, cause I did skip over that part of the timeline and I just want to make sure we fill in the picture. So sure. when you're a comic, how do you get to the end? When does the decision point come to actually join the army? What drives you to join the army? Um, I, so I had ended up, uh, shoot. I'm in Baton Rouge. I've got a, is he two yet? Maybe two year old at the time. And my day job is selling cars. It is not going well. Um, and so that was basically it. it was a pragmatic decision, um, one that I think most people end up in the service with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't I mean, I've, I've told store everyone wants to hear about why you joined, you know, and it always has to be some grand tale of inspiration or whatever. And that's not what we're doing here. Clearly, you understand yeah. that. Yeah, but that's typically how it goes, right? You got to have some story that's different from the actual one that that sounds good, so that people are satisfied with whatever that that answer is. At least in my experience, I think mm. some of that too is kind of what I would like to get away from mm-hmm. as a society. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it really wasn't any more than that. I had so what was I, a guaranteed paycheck and just benefits and all that yeah, that just made too yeah. much sense yep pretty much yeah. did you did you think were you did you think you were going to leverage the gi bill did you have plans to go back to college or did you yeah. think this was going to be a yeah, career so i i actually um oh man i mean i think i went through the gambit you know as far as what i thought the service was going to do you know you in basic i mean 
this is gross but like it was it went well you know what i mean like i was i was a platoon guide in basic i was an honor grad um did well at ait um so it was at that time it's like yeah i'm gonna do 30 years you know you can't stop <laughs> right. um but you don't know any better so then uh then i went to brag from there and then i ended up well no I go to Defense Language Institute, learn Arabic um, out there, which was the hardest thing I'm ever going to have to do. Um, and at that point, I was like, oh, I'm going to do something with the language for sure. That opens up, you know, several yeah. opportunities. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, there's no guarantee that that's going to open up any kind of opportunities. So a lot of people just go to these schools and then don't use any of the training whatsoever. Sure. And that was kind of my experience. I had a, I had a, what do they call it? A refresher training on, on the language while I was at Bragg one time. And that was pretty much it. So I went out there. Yeah. Like didn't. And that's another issue that I have. Like, I mean, I got issues. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and this happens a lot, dude. Like the amount of schools that just like an intelligence professional can go through, like throughout their career and pipeline that they're not really using or utilizing sure. it all is insane and no one's really i don't think anybody's taking that into account um so uh yeah i went out there i did that um went to jump school went to brag and then uh were you in the soft world were you a soft support guy were you 80 seconds no i tried i tried to go soft so originally uh, that's what, how I ended up going to jump school was because I originally got orders to, um, five, two, five, which is, a uh, uh, expeditionary military intelligence brigade. They don't jump. Um, so I was like, okay, if I get, if I go to jump school, then they'll have to change my orders to either go to 82nd, but I was trying to go to get attached to third group. Um, and I was actually really trying to go to 10th group. Cause I had a buddy who's in 10th group who didn't go to DLI who had already been out there for like a year now. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was attached to 10th group and, uh, and they were gonna request for me to go up there. And then they were like, wait, dude, we can't, we can't put this in for a fucking specialist. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that didn't happen. And then my orders didn't get changed. So I ended up going to five, two, five, uh, I got wings on. Everybody's like, why the fuck are you here? I'm like, I don't know, bud. I wish I wasn't here also. We were doing like motor pool Monday, like everybody else. And um, then what's crazy, you know what? Let's, let's talk about this. My first week at 525, dude, they came up to me and said, hey, we just lost a guy who um, committed suicide in the unit. And we're having his memorial service at the end of the week whenever I had reported to the unit, you're going to be part of the roll call. Okay. All right. No problem. If you spend more, any kind of time in the service, you're going to go to these, you know what I mean? Like sure. you can't, you can't duck them, unfortunately. Uh, so not only am I on the roll call, I'm last. dude. So for people who don't know, in a memorial service, the first sergeant does a simulated roll call. In which they call on a few people who are actually there in the in the crowd. They report here first sergeant. At the end, whoever the person is that has passed, they call their name. Um, 
by rank last name and then they go through their entire name like over and over again it's like i don't remember how many times it is and then it goes into the 21 gun salute and taps and all that so they're like welcome here you go and that kind of that that changes your mentality a little bit you know and 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 then also at that time like and you know this is these are things all having to do with the unit you know it's not a separated incident or anything like that so um it's kind of like welcome to the army this is what it really is um day to day and not you know when you're training yeah you're you're thinking like you know i'm going to be practically using these skills every day and you're just not that is not the case at all so it's just a weird experience to go from that sort of training environment it's very high pace like expectations yeah. are high yeah. and then you go to a unit and like nobody gives a shit yeah it's very weird so i ended up going from 525 over to 18th airborne corps um by accident uh, because my first sergeant misunderstood a tasking and so she uh what happened was they put out a tasking for the secretary of general staff needed a um needed some sort of uh they told me it was going to be the sergeant major of 18th airborne corps driver i was going to be the sergeant major of 18th airborne corps driver and i'm like why the fuck is specialist sparks going to be like e4 mafia till i die why why am i going to be right the sergeant major of 18th airborne corps driver so i have to put together a packet and everything and then i have to go get a da photo done i don't know if a lot of people, this is something I had no idea of that this was a thing, but usually you can't get a DA photo taken of yourself unless you're an E6 or above. Yeah. Yeah. So I was an E4 and I show up <laughs> and I'm like, bro, I need a DA photo. And he's like, fuck off. <laughs> and I'm like, no, seriously, I have to submit a DA photo with my packet. And they're like, no, you're an E4. And I'm like, look, I get it, bro. But this is like an order from the Sergeant Major of the 18th Airborne Corps stating that I need a DA photo. So I have a DA photo of Specialist Sparks that I think should be worth some kind of money. <laughs> um, so I go into the interview and they're like, uh, so how'd you hear about the job? I'm like, buddy, I don't even know what this is. Be real honest with you am I going to be the Sergeant Major's driver? And he was like, no, this is for the Secretary of General Staff. You're going to like do clerical work basically for the General Staff. And I was like, okay. And they're like, wow, it's really impressive that you speak Arabic. I don't even know Spanish. And I'm like, dude, I don't know Spanish either. So I don't, you know, and he's, and this guy just, I don't know. He thought I was kind of funny. And he was like, uh, He's like, well, shit, man. I think we'd like to work with you if you don't, if you don't mind come switching, doing an interpost transfer. I was like, all right, cool. And so that I and so what happened was my first sergeant only submitted me because she thought that because the 18th Airborne Corps was an airborne unit, that whoever got sent for the tasking had to be, had to be an airborne, airborne soldier. So she puts at the top of my packet, dude, she says, Specialist Sparks is the only individual in all of the 525 (laughs) Military Intelligence Brigade that is capable of filling this slot. And they thought I was hot shit, dude. Oh, my God. And they just misunderstood. Everyone misunderstood what was being said. 
got lost in translation and I got a job I wasn't supposed to have. How did it work out? Did you enjoy it? Oh yeah, it was fun. I mean, like it was crazy because you're doing things that like specialists shouldn't really be doing. So I'm having to keep up like with the Rolodex of all the generals at 18th Airborne Court. So we got a full bird on the wing, uh, a one-star, two-star, and three-star. Primarily, I worked for the chief of staff, who was at the time Brigadier General uh, Xavier Brunson. I think he's at, where is he? I don't know. Anyway, so that's who I'm, he's, I'm under his umbrella, but I'm basically, if any of the other ones assign me with something, then that's my job too. Right. So there's like three, four of us little henchmen working in this back office in a basement. Um it's it's a skiff like the whole building's a skiff obviously um and i'm having to call other uh commanding officers under the 18th airborne corps echelon and confirming that their cell phone numbers are still their cell phone numbers and weird shit like that so i'm like hey colonel watson this is specialist sparks with 18th airborne corps and i'm just calling to see if this is still your fucking phone number and he'll be like, yeah, it is. Leave me alone, guy. And hang up. And it's like, yeah, I get it. I, I wouldn't want to. But that was basically my job. And then also anything that like the chief of staff had to sign, like a memo that any of the, mm. the staff sections were putting up, had to come through me to be proofread and to make sure that their signature blocks were correct. And if they weren't, it was easier to just be like, hey, dude, send me that on digits so that I can unfuck your shit and get this signed instead of us going back and forth over six different grammatical errors. It was really like one of those like tedious attention to detail kind of. Totally. I mean, how did you feel about it? Did you, were you enjoy it or were you bored or were you satisfied? I I felt like I had more purpose there Mm. than I did at the MI brigade. Cause there you're just kind of floating around, like waiting for somebody to tell you to go cut the grass or, Mm-hmm. And and best part about it, dude, we had we had big boy rules, so we're just doing PT on our own and shit. Yeah, I'm going. Yeah. I'm I'm working a nine to five out there, dude. Yeah, yeah. So we had our we had a fucking barber in the building, dude. This yeah. OG, he had every commanding general from 18th Airborne Corps from like Vietnam era on on his fucking wall. <laughs> One of the coolest places you'll get your haircut. Uh, that's pretty cool. So yeah. at that point, now how do you feel about a career? Are you thinking that you're going to do this for 20 years? Um, now you're the, the endorphin rush of AIT is over and you're seeing what the real army's like, or are you getting no, sick of it? No, I was, I was pretty much sick of it at that point. And then also I had had a jump at that point that um, I didn't know at the time it fucked me up real bad. So I, I, I came out, my shoe was twisted. Um, and I went, when I went to pick my head up to check my suspension lines and my fucking, uh, canopy and, and riser and whatnot i like couldn't even get my head up all the way because they were twisted so far down oh it's, yeah it's a common malfunction and right. like you train on it before every jump and everything but um so what you do is you you pull them apart above your head and then start kicking your feet and then eventually right. you like spin yourself out of the twist um or you also have a reserve in which you could throw but when you throw your reserve and now you have both parachutes out, you lose mobility. Right. You can't, you can't really pull slips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I didn't throw my reserves because I don't know why that was like a concern on my uh-huh. mind. But I was like, I don't, I don't want to find myself 
like someone catching my or taking my air or some shit. And then like uh-huh. with two shoots, like, I don't know. Was this just like a, a C-130 mass tag? Yeah. Was this C-130 yeah, mass yeah, tag? Yeah. 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 And I'm right. like third out the door. So like, there's okay. no one around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously. So like, I'm not compared, like, it, you know, if I'm comparing my rate of descent, like there's, I'm just seeing sure. nobody. And it was an 800 um, foot, 800 foot jump probably. Right. 25, so, 2,500, some 20, 25. 20, 2000 to 25, I think. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So you um, a little bit of time. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So basically okay. I had just enough time to fool myself into believing that I could fight this shit out and everything yeah, yeah. would be fine. Yeah. So, uh, so I finally get it out and I'm burning in, but I don't realize it. And then we get, I get to the tree line and I'm like, Oh fuck, here we go. Like prepare yeah. to land. So right. basically because my parachute landing form is impeccable, like I just fucking ate shit, didn't break anything like major, um, got knocked the fuck out. Did um, you? You lost consciousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. I mean, I, at that I was twenty five, dude. You couldn't tell me shit. Right, right. So, uh, so yeah, I just got up, checked. Like I knew I was fucked up. Like I had this adrenaline rush that, like, I could never verbalize what it felt like. Um, and I'm like, something's wrong with me, dude. But I'm like, my my arms are fine, my legs are fine. Like I can pack my shit. Yeah. Like I should get the fuck. So that's what I did. And then like eight months down the road dude i i couldn't I, I couldn't run like half a mile and then one day we're at pt i think we were doing pull-ups and i came down off the bar and when i came down and impacted with the when my feet hit the ground like just my legs gave out completely and uh and i was like well i think my back's probably fucked up wow and so uh i finally i got to the point where i was like well I'm, i either got to go to the doctor or i'm not going to pass the pt test and so, um, I go to the doctor, they, uh, they do all the imaging and, and stuff. And then they come back, uh, like L one through five is just fucking shit. Um, fractured the, I got scar tissue from fracturing the facet joint L five S one. And now I, now I have like, um, it's, considered moderate paralysis in my right leg i think that's a little bit of an over exaggeration um but like i'm definitely feeling that shit and a dramatic brain injury obviously um but i don't know how i didn't realize this at the time but i was just thinking like of course i'm tired you know right um i was having vertigo episodes like every day like crazy dude and I didn't know what the fuck that was at all. I didn't know how to like verbalize that it was happening. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't like equating it or like relating it to the jump at all. Um, it wasn't really until I saw a doctor, and they're like, "Okay, well, what else is going on?" And then they're like, "Well, well, fuck, dude." Yeah. So, uh, so I ended up uh, getting medically retired uh, while I was while I was with 18th Airborne Corps, um, and they try to do. Like I had a bunch of nerve ablations done, mm. um, epidural injections, like straight into my disc and stuff to try to like yeah. just relieve the pain and whatnot, just to get me through that first stint of service and whatnot. But everything, like the nerve ablations, never really go the way you want them to. Right, right. It seemed to really irritate everything every time I had a needle stuck into me. So it just kind of got to a point where they were like, "You can." They offer you like now they have these like uh they're not wounded warrior but they're 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 basically like these warrior project units 
now yeah, where you right. could like do serve out your your right. I was gonna say your sentence, serve out your uh yeah. your contract like in a right. administrative role over there or whatever. But I was just like, no. Yeah. If I can't if I can't do this or I was in human intelligence collection, um or that, then like dude, I got no business. Yeah, how did there. you how did you feel now at that point? I mean that's a pretty big so you you you're getting out before your first contract even, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now it's like, fuck, a whole nother gear change after yeah. you just made a big move into the military. I mean, where was your head at? What did you, how did you feel? Were you, could you I see thought, an upside or were you totally yeah, bummed I thought out? I was, I thought I was fine, dude. I was like, I'm just gonna, yeah. I'm just gonna go back. I really thought I was just gonna go back into the arts. You know what I mean? I was just like, fuck it, dude. I'll just, I'll, I'll go back to school. I'll start doing stand up again. Like maybe this is the, you know, the opportunity that I wasn't going to give myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I kind of went that way about it. Um, and then I got into Loyola university down here in new Orleans. So I was like, I'm just going to go there, um, for political science. Cause like a bunch of my Arabic and intelligence studies like transferred over mm. there. I think it like made me a junior instantly. Wow. Um, yeah. So I was like, that's, that's cool. That'll work. Yeah. Um, got there dude and just struggled like was realizing like oh this is anxiety oh this is depression wow oh this is like um you know waking up night sweats that whole shit like i'm having i'm having weird dreams about you know like having to jump again and like mm. shit like just being in situations where like it's not it's not like i'm having i'm not having a nightmare you know what I mean? But it's like, yeah. I'm having yeah. these dreams where like, there's a possibility that I'd have to jump again. Like I know what, like, and after I jumped another time after I jumped the next day after that one, it just happened to go really fucking well. So, um, but that one, my last jump, I was like, fucking, you know, my knees were knocking. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I don't sure. ever want to. Yeah. So. Cause you'd already um, seen the doctor at that point. Right. Cause you already knew you gotten fucked up on that earlier jump. Or had you not gotten no, no, yet? no, 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 okay. I didn't No, okay. I didn't know anything at that point. Wow. Okay. Um, so it was just nerves from the last jump. Yeah. 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 I knew I fucking smoked the ground. That's what right, I was worried right, about. Right. More than anything, I was like, I don't sure. want to fucking hit like that again, dude. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and luckily I didn't. Um, so, I mean, I yeah. know you say in the movie, you're like, hey, this, whatever, you know, the PTS, the depression, that shit isn't about my service. I've had that from before the service. Mm-hmm. But do you think, do you think it exacerbated existing conditions or do you think there are new issues that it created despite, besides the physical stuff, obviously? Sure. Sure. I think typically that's what everyone kind of experiences. I think that's the point that I'm trying to make in the yeah. film is that we are kind of carrying a residual load, whether it be from our own, you know, hereditary shit or like, you know, sure. generational trauma that, you know, we now know through psychological sciences that, you know, that shit travels. Um, so I think that's kind of the point that I'm trying to make is that whether I was going to, I was going to deal with these things with or without the service. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of people. It's just what else, what extra are you taking on? in going sure. into the service. But I think that's also, I mean, to me, I would, I would also argue, but I am fucked up from the service. Don't get me wrong. Right, right, right. Just, yeah, yeah. 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 Because, yeah. because, because I'm not I mean, denying that. I, I think the word yeah. you use, um, the phrase you use in the movie 
was like default trauma or something like sure. where it's like, hey, this is just what you're carrying around. I, I just think that's adulting. It's like you live long enough. You're going to have enough fucking trauma just walking around the planet anyway. Sure. But yeah. But definitely it's funny. Um, You know, I talked about this, I think, before on the show, but it's like it doesn't matter what anybody did in the service. Mm-hmm. I've yet to talk to somebody who didn't have a high volume of significant emotional events from serving. It's right. just it's it, it is an extra load and it's an extra mm-hmm. load on top of just being you know a human being on the planet mm-hmm. which carries sure. a degree of trauma anyway but it definitely mm-hmm. it, there is there is a, a a bit more um to it how did you feel that you adjusted then coming back did you immediately start jumping was the va up your ass on medications was it something no. where okay so what was going on with your care so regimen? as far as that went I like basically had none. So like I knew what my diagnosis were physically. Okay. Um, I knew that there was nothing else outside of surgery that they were really going to do. Yeah. Um, did they so do surgery? Like, Did you no, get surgery? no, no, I, I've, I'm not at the time I was 25. I'm 31 now. Um, it's still like, unless I'm so demobilized by it that, I want to have multiple because that's the thing. You have one back surgery, like you're just going to keep having back surgery totally until you die. So, but what if you, start have you done PT? Early. Did you do PT? Yeah, or I've anything? done PT. I've done PT. Um, I've done chiropractic work. Now, what I do mostly is cranial sacral manipulation therapy. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever heard of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that to be really helpful, just like emotionally too, because a lot of it is emotional shit that like we're carrying um, totally. physically. Um, do you so ever try? Can, did you try Bikram yoga? No, I mean, I do, I do. Um, I mean, I stretch my ass off. I'm a pretty flexible guy, but I'm not like in any yoga routine you, per so se. Bikram yoga, if you get a chance, the problem with Bikram is he, sure. so nobody teaches uh, like straight Bikram yoga anymore. Mm-hmm. But if you can find somebody that does like his actual well, 25 we can't just rename two, it. Yeah, I know. Seriously. It's like, dude, <laughs> just rebrand it, man. Cause the stuff actually really works. So his thing was, he was a weightlifter and he okay. smashed both of his knees. Okay. But he founded this form of hot yoga, which is 25 very strict poses in okay. 105 degree heat. And he actually regained complete mobility. And my wife was a Bikram yoga teacher and she, uh, she saw people heal from car crashes, oh, cool. heroin addiction, all kinds of shit, both emotional, mental, and physical stuff, just because, you know, that stuff. And yeah. I know for me that helped my back, my back cool. got completely healed. So I, I always offer that to people. Cause I'm like, that's something I can vouch for. I'm like, dude, that shit fucking works, man. I like, I like the way that sounds because I think my issue with yoga so far has been that it is like so free flowing and like no, there's no yeah. structure really depending yeah. on like who you got and like what session you land on on YouTube, yeah. like whatever, however you do it. But I do like the idea of there being some sort of regimen to it. Yeah, if you find somebody, that out. The, the, well, the way they phrase it now, since they can't call it Bikram, is you got to look for somebody that does hot yoga with the sure. they call it the twenty five and two. So if you okay. see somebody says 25 and two, that means the 25 that's poses Bikram and that's poses. basically Bikram. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's like the coded language now for it. But yeah, that shit fucking, I, I swear by it. I'm like, I'll check I, do, it I do just a little bit. I do 15 minutes of it every day and it like significantly, like, okay. I don't even need to see the chiropractor anymore. Right? Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so anyway, that's my little plug for I'm Bikram for yoga. So, yeah. <laughs> what that's worth. Um, let's, let's talk about the movie though, because I, I do want to, um, you know, dive into into some of the nuts and bolts of it. You shot it in six days. 
Is I shot what? it in or two hours like, just the two days. Yeah, I shot it in two days, and then you and edited it was, over six days. I mean, really, I edited it. I really worked on the. I did the trailer first. I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but uh-huh. it's really just the first section. And I'm my point with the trailer is like, yo, you should be. My my intent is to put out a concerning ass trailer. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I did that the the night before, maybe the night before I went into my psychiatry appointment. Because I knew at that like they, I I was already annoyed. I was frustrated at that point by how many calls I had received, both from people and my psychiatrist throughout the day, as I'm trying to ask everyone to leave me alone. Um, so. My, me being shitty and a ball hog and a uh, loud mouth. <laughs> I was like, all right, if you guys want to be concerned, let's, let's give you some material to be concerned about. Also, all those medications you see are 100% prescribed to me. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. There's that's a lot too of fucking, many fucking meds, medicine, man. dude. Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? And that's my point. That's why I'm upset too, is because no one's talking about that. No one's saying, hey, we think we fucked your medicine up. We think we got you on too much shit. It was, hey, your behavior isn't, right. you know, right. like, and it's like, Ugh. so yeah, yeah. I did the trailer the like while I was there, I was still in the hotel when I put the trailer out. And then I think the next day I had the material um, from the appointment, which I kind of knew how. So this is where like some of my training comes in, right? Like as a human intelligence collector, your job is to be able to dictate interactions, to steer them and to try and figure out what the possible outcomes of saying this, that, or the other are going to be. So I knew I couldn't show anybody's face. Otherwise I'd be a HIPAA violation. I knew in Louisiana, it's a one party consent state. So as long as I kept the visual on me, then no one could do anything about the fact that their audio is on my yeah. video. Did they know you were recording? Nope. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and another thing, like I'm, I was in there a long time for no one to notice that I'm recording. Right. right? So there's skill in that too. And so my, they're all trying to say that I'm out of my mind. And my point is, as I'm making this, I'm making very lucid, um, artistic and both like functional decisions about the way that I'm shooting this and what I'm saying and what I'm repeating from what I have already said in the monologue. Um, And then once the once. Kind of once my psychiatrist started talking to me like I was a fucking child, I was like, okay, if that's what we're going to do, then here we go. Let's, I'll, I'll take that ride with you. When did you make the decision to not have it be a comedy? What made you make that decision? What, what footage did you get? I did. So I did. Um, well, so the, the doc was always going to be the doc okay. once I made that decision. But the the one man show itself was intended to just be. I was just trying to write stand up. Got you. Um, okay. Around okay. the material involved in the one man show, of which a lot of it is what you see in the doc. Got you. Um, 
that I'm trying to make funny that I can't make funny. Can I tell you, can I tell you why I'm I'm saying that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Because the concept of the film, as I understood it after watching it was here's a comic who wants two days to do his set and everybody and their mother or specifically your mother is calling and not letting you rest and focus and get this stuff done. Right. And then, and so then it's just an inherently comedic setup where like mm-hmm. everything's going. And I was, and the reason I say that is, um, I mean, dude, it is a rough watch as I'm sure yeah. you've heard. It's mm-hmm. like, and which is attractive in its own way. Let me take it back. Effective in its own way. Mm-hmm. It definitely mm-hmm. is jarring. Mm-hmm. Like the first yeah. five minutes, and, I was like, what the fuck am I watching, and, man? It's crazy. It's fucking and, insane. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And like, and, and gripping and all that it does start to beat you down in a way where I was like, man, I wonder if your point could have been more make entertainingly relief. made. Well, maybe more, yeah. more, more oh, entertainingly sure. made in a way 100%. where people go, fuck like, Hey, yes. we could, I, this could be like an early seventies Nicholson. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. let's see somebody, you know, losing their mind going through this going, I'm just trying to work on my stuff here for two days. Like that to me, I thought, I thought there was, and I never thought that until you said, that you were mm-hmm. trying to work on your stuff because in the show, in the in the doc, when you're talking about doing stand up, I was like, wait, he's a fucking comic. I was mm-hmm. like, God damn, dude. I was like, oh shit. And then you said, oh yeah, I, I was working on my live show as a comedy. I was like, I would love to see that. So this I is am, like a one and done for me. Yeah. Like I saw that. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah awesome. Sure. But I'm like, yes, yeah. I'm smoked, man. One of yeah. one of the reviews that were written about it were that it's too real to watch twice. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Can't do it again. Won't do it again. Not trying to do it again. And so that is my intent. Mm-hmm. Like I know for a fact, because I finished finished it in six days, that it can be made into something way easier to watch. And eventually, if here's my thing with it is that like just getting putting that out there was not difficult, but like the in dealing with like. I know that I'm putting out material that is worrisome. So like in my personal life, I've had to deal with kind of the fallout of that. So in a way I'm being kind of shitty about not giving any of that relief to anybody because all you Mm. really have to do is like, I'm available. You know what I mean? Like I think people who are, it, it has identified people who care on a very surface level, right? Yeah. You're willing to send that little one shot. Hey, it looks like you're struggling a bit, but like, that's it, you know? So I think, I think eventually I'd like to get with either a producer or a director or somebody that could, that could, um, like the way I want to see it fully formed out is with like interviews throughout of different veterans like maybe as they're as they're watching it or maybe doing like a commentary um with it but right now i'm just kind of like it's out there it, it artistically that's what i want how do you feel um, how do you feel with the reaction it's gotten how do you feel with it do you look at it and there are the things you would like to have changed or think, yeah. oh, i should have done this differently yeah yeah for sure i mean i think um There are some things that, so there are a lot of things in there that I didn't want to have said multiple times. Mm. Um, but I didn't want to cut too much 
out of it because I thought it would come off as disingenuine if you're seeing just a bunch of spliced of one monologue. Oh, I see. You see what I mean? So I'm really riffing at that point. I'm not reading from anything. I know right. what I've performed from the show. Like you're really seeing me go into this and let's make no mistake about it. I'm fucking bipolar, dude. So you're seeing me in a manic state. Still, my 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 point is that like I don't again, it's like I, it's got to do with the labeling, right? I don't want to be labeled as a veteran and I don't want a diagnosis of bipolar to be setting up the stage for interactions with me or anything like that. Like I'm, I'm more than capable of accomplishing what I want to accomplish. And it feels like since I've gotten a diagnosis, everyone wants to just like talk about that. Oh, well, I think, you know, have you like, have you taken your medicine today? Like it's, it's all these things that are coming from a place of concern. I'm just like, fuck man, I don't want to talk about me being bipolar anymore. And it's funny. Cause like I, I just gave a keynote speech at a university, a local university over here for Veterans Day. And I was telling their uh, their vets organization, um, what do you call them? Director. Like, I made a movie about how to, like, I want to get away from it. And now, like, I'm just yeah. I'm kind of talking about it more than. Right. More than I ever have. So I kind of I kind of shit the bed in that. <laughs> um, I've gotten enough good feedback from, like all my veteran buddies, veterans that I have never met before that have been kind enough to sit down and watch and give me feedback. Um, I watched it with a homeless dude in Starbucks one day. He fucking cried. I, that was before I ever put it out. Um, it was still on iMovie. I didn't put it on YouTube or anything like that. I sat down with this dude at Starbucks. I was like, hey, if you got time, like I'll, I'll get you a coffee, whatever you want. If you want to just sit and watch this with me and like tell me what you think. And um, just like seeing his reaction, I was like, okay, like it's something. Um, so I didn't at that point want to make it so cute that it took away from the message. Um, yeah. and then I, I think overall, like a lot of us veterans are just simply misunderstood because of the societal norms that we place on all of us as a whole, because of history, like all that stuff, like I get it, I get it a hundred percent, but we're all bigger than that. We've got stories bigger than that. At the same time, a lot of us have been through shit that like, you can't just zap away. Right. You know, um, so I'm to, me, to find that balance. Yeah, no, no, no. That's, that's, I could definitely see that. I'll tell you, um, I have a really bad habit. I've realized, I don't know. It's, it's cropped up more the last couple of months where like, after I'm done talking to somebody, I'm like, Hey, I really should have said this when we were on air and had this discussion <laughs> instead of editorializing after the fact when they're not yeah. going to talk about oh. it. So I want, but so I, I was like, let me make sure I say this because I, I, the movie, um, I mean, it can't help but move you. It can't help but make you think. It can't help but there's a lot of things that just right off the bat, like you know, it's going to be a movie you're not going to forget. There's no two ways about it. What as I'm putting my my veteran or emotional self aside, creatively. I thought there was a tension between the two themes. One is that you are consistently making a global point. You're mm -hmm. saying, "Hey, don't you know? Uh, you know, don't paint the veteran community with a broad brush. Hey, this is what we as veterans need, and all this." But then on the micro level, really, you're saying, "Hey, I just want 
two days in a room to mm-hmm. tell, to do this work. Right. I thought the I thought the latter is the stronger story, and I mm-hmm. thought it because it's so personal and unique to you, and because I don't and and like talking here today, like I don't see you as somebody that's trying to make, um, you know, you're not making stump speeches. You're not running mm-hmm. for office. You're not going, hey, this, you know, and this is the law that we need that will cover X, Y, right. Z, right? Right, right. And it was like, instead, it's a, it's like you say in the movie, it's a cry for help. It's a creed de corps. Mm-hmm. It's a, and I, and I thought that to me is the real thing is that mm-hmm. this is a very personal story about folks around you and the way they're treating mm-hmm. you and what you're, sure. and, and how that uh, runs into what you're trying to accomplish. And that's what, and then when, during the course of it, when you talked about comedy briefly, and I was like, wait, what? I like sat mm-hmm. up. I was like, what did he just say? Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, yeah, that. And then when you said that earlier in the show, I was like, yeah, that seems to me to be a really strong move because it's actually more universal because it's more, and this is my opinion, but sure. I don't want to editorialize it after the fact. So I'm, I'm giving you, I'm telling, telling you now so you can rebut and address yeah. as, as you see fit. Yeah, but, that's fine. But for me, I was just like, I think that's a stronger move creatively because it gives us that thing to glom onto. And then we get the second and third order effects of that mm-hmm. where we go, hey, the system's kind of messed up or why is that they're going through that? But we get it because we're following just you without mm-hmm. the pontification of, mm-hmm. hey, what's wrong with the system? Does that kind sure. of make sense? Am I saying yeah, this? absolutely. A hundred percent. So I was also... um kind of like I joke now that the documentary is only an 84 minute trailer for the one man show. <laughs> That's great. It's just a really long too. fucking trailer. That works too. So, yeah. so all of that, I'm hoping to invoke that to pique that interest. You know what I mean? To say yeah, like, yeah. all right, where is that? Yeah. Because you're going to get it in the one man show. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, That's cool. And with, with the reason why I am kind of getting into those global points is because that is going to carry into like act one is going to be very, the, the expectancy of the veteran, you know, like what you're expecting it to be after your service, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to highlight, mm-hmm. that's how I'm going to go about that. Um, act two, I go into more personal stuff, things that happened before the service and everything that are, that are going to carry that weight throughout my service and up until now and all that. Um, act three, um, we go into a little bit more updated. I do some jokes. I give everybody that kind of relief that you're looking for throughout. Um, and then I'm going to like do some stuff musically with it. Um, as well, and that's why I have me just kind of fucking around on the snare. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're just seeing that I can do that. You don't know why you're really seeing it. I mean, really, like I've made the point that like that's what I that's what I do. Like I've I've like I'm stressed. I'm clearly stressed out in those circumstances, right? Yeah. Like I'm just trying yeah. to work through some shit. Right. So you're just kind of seeing me fuck around on a pad for a little while. Um, but it's also going to set up like I have like some cadences worked out that I'm going to like work into the show and stuff. So um, it's going to kind of come back and bring everything gotcha. full circle. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited. What, I'm just what, trying to. That's freaking dope. When are you playing? When do you estimate that you'll be able to get the one man show up and functional? Oh man. I have no idea. So I have a lot of stuff obviously going on. 
like personally that I have to like settle um, before I can really like go head first into that. Um, I think I'm going to go back to school in January for journalism, um, try to finish my degree. And then uh, I think probably, I think by the summer, I'm going to try to have at least like one spot where I can um, at the minimum get a bare bones you know, show going, I got a lot of prop, um, you know, stage design stuff mm-hmm. to work out that mm-hmm. like, uh, I don't really, I gotta, I gotta make all those contacts and, and yeah, do the yeah, logistical yeah. things, you know, um, that, you know, creators love to do. Uh, are you working out? Are you working out a lot of the live performance on stand up stages now or on, yeah, where, so where are you, I'm not, where are you working it out? Where are you working yeah, out the material? So I, I was, yeah, I was, um, working it out at um all these open mics that are traditionally stand up. So wow. like I'd have to get up I get up on stage and I say, hey, I'm working on a one man show. It's not fucking funny. Um, <laughs> and er- that's the reaction I get yeah, every time. I bet. And, I bet. Uh, and so uh I'm like I just however much time that mic happens to be and say I appreciate it if you give me the next, you know, four, five, nine, ten minutes, whatever, um, just to pay attention and let me work through my shit. And I appreciate it. And then I go into dialogue um and then like honestly the feedback i got immediately was just over when you can see like i don't know how to i don't know how to go about you know i'm just at that point i'm you're seeing me react to how well it's being received like in real time like Mm -hmm. i don't know what to do with myself really i don't know how to like i'm trying to figure out how to how do i make this more real like i have to finish it i have to organize it like none of this like people are asking me questions about like a finished ass product and that's not what i have at all um and it's really the first thing that i mean i've been writing for years dude and like it's the first thing that i've ever thought of written or anything that like wasn't this let me sit down and force out this script or whatever you know like it just I had no choice really in, in how it came to me and how like I tried to do it my own way in trying to, you know, write jokes and shit. Yeah. And I really, I couldn't, I couldn't, maybe it's just that I couldn't give a genuine performance if I were to make it funny because I'm realizing as an individual that like, I'm still dealing with it. And so like, maybe the reason I like, I don't think it's funny is because I'm still dealing with it. So like for me to get up on stage and make fun of it, felt disingenuous at the time and so i was like well let me pivot and see if i can make enough points i mean uh, look it's your, it's your total no totally i mean this is me i'm playing armchair producer here for no good mm-hmm. reason except that mm-hmm. i'm a fan i like the movie and it was it, it got my, my wheels turning but i was like you know let me um, make this the, clear. I need help, dude. <laughs> I, like I am. Listen, I'm, I, that's that's where I'm at. Is that like I'm so done with trying to do this on my own? Like it's by rough. Myself, yeah. That, like oh, dude. Well, man, shows no joke. So the yeah. first thought that comes to me is that Mel Brooks fought in the Battle of the Bulge. You know, he was right. an Army combat engineer. He saw that he fought in the Battle of the Bulge. There's a. It might be apocryphal story, but he was also one of the first that got into Auschwitz or, or one of the camps and helped liberate oh, wow. there and all that. Mm-hmm. Yet he never wrote about that. Instead, he wrote the producers. And if he had been the guy that had written a no shit there, I was story, it would have been good. Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be one of many. 
and it mm-hmm. probably and he would not have been Mel Brooks. Right, you can't get away from it. Yeah. You, can't, you can't get away from it. And 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 on top of it, it's um, it doesn't lead to other stuff necessarily. It exhausts that right. story. Yeah, you're done. You're done. It's a one and done thing. The only reason I say this is like if you were somebody else sitting there, I might feel differently. But the fact that you've been in stand up and that you've been working the comedy angle for so long, I if I if I were to armchair producer this from the comfort of sitting on my ass right here, where it's the easiest place to armchair produce anything, sure. um, I would say, I would say, dude, I would love to see what would happen if it did become a comedy. Not because you're trying to make fun of it, mm-hmm. but because that might be the most effective vehicle for, oh, for getting sure. some yeah. of the some of the the emotion out. And I would just love to see what that would look like. Um, I just think there's a there's a lot there. It's such a rich subject matter. And honestly, there are movies um, that, and, and I maybe I'm seeing more of this now because doing the show and I, I see stuff come out. I feel like I'm seeing more people. They haven't done anything. I haven't seen anything as that goes as far down the rabbit hole as you did with it. Mm-hmm. But I've definitely seen stuff like it. Themes, where, yeah, yeah. The themes are there, themes, especially now. And, especially now, the and with the twenty-two a day, good, yeah, dude. yeah. And, yeah. And it's a lot of stuff. But but I think that's where it's one of those. Look, Mel Brooks could have written yet another no shit there I was story from World War Two, but it's mm-hmm. like what's actually going to be more enduring? What's actually going to? Yeah, and I don't know. And that that's as I say, it's easy for me to yeah. sit here and say it, and so, it's your life and it's your story. So yeah. you know how you want to do it. But so, okay, that was my I thought. Did, I just did an hour in Baton Rouge uh earlier this month. And that's basically what I did was I took what I could do funny. Um and I did an hour of stand up um from the from the one man. Really? And so I yeah, in an effort to make it easier on myself to perform it so that one like i i can kind of give two different performances if i want to i mm. want to be able to make it intense when i want to make it intense and i want to be able to give that comic relief mm. for myself if not for anybody else because mm. i know if i get to a point where i'm performing it regularly that's gonna that's yeah. gonna eat it like i can't yeah. give that yeah. kind of shit every day so um i am trying to work on it to uh, to get it to a point where there is there's going to be comedy sprinkled throughout um and i think even if i'm not trying to be funny i think um some things just are inherently goofy about service um and i'll tell you something and this is again very much from my own bias but as somebody that reads i think i've read 800 veteran authored plays this year mm -hmm. and so few of them are comedies yeah. Okay. And, and now admittedly, they're not, most of them are not war stories or many of them are not war stories. Many of them have to do with veteran subject matter. Although it's not always, it's, you know, it, there's a lot of derivations of that. So it's not a, mm-hmm. a apples to apples comparison, but sure. <clears throat> there, but what I notice is the veteran community is really bad at taking, at not taking itself seriously. Right. Which, and and what I mean by that is not that you don't obviously you have to take the stake seriously, but the medium. What's the medium through which you deliver that? And I think we've gotten used to the Black Hawk Downs and the sure. other stuff where it's like, hey, the glory, the beauty of this story is going to be in the gut wrenching way that it's told, as opposed to this next evolution, especially coming out of the GWAT years, where we have guys with so many other 
artistic mm-hmm. tools at their at their uh, command. Where I'm sure. like, hey, there's other weapons in your toolbox you can use yeah. to tell this. And it's like that to me. And I get this all the time at Vet Rep, where people come and they're like, I was really scared to come here because I thought it was going to be guys popping out of, you know, uh, you know, rice. Uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah fields just, and all that shit yeah, yeah. i was like dude Goofy well i mean stuff. like if there's that story fine but yeah no that's not necessarily like, what we're trying to do right and, and that's all i say only because you have the comedic training and the, the effort that you've put into the comedy that's why mm-hmm. I, I say just from the comfort of my own seat i'm like i would love to see what that looks like and i'm glad you're doing that and fucking around with the comedic version to see what happens yeah because yeah. i think that could be really interesting and something I, that really does stand out from the crowd Cool. Thank you. I appreciate you, you giving that feedback. I think that's where I'm, I'm trying to not be too married or precious to any of it at this point, because I mean, it's been three months, three and a half months, you know, and like, that's no time at all. Like in, in sure. as far as the film world goes and, and everything else. So I'm yeah. trying, I'm trying not to be too precious about anything or like be too dead set on anything. Like I'm supposed to, I was supposed to go to Monterey for a screening at the end of this week. They, they they're like, uh, wait until, wait until we get our funds approved to pay you for it before you book anything, Thanks. buddy. It's Friday. Holy shit! What do you yeah, mean? Yeah. So so like things like that. I'm trying to like. I don't know anything about this. Um, about this festival circuit. Screenings. Yeah, yeah, yeah all that stuff. So like, I've been taking on the logistics of that. Holy shit. Um, that's, that is dude, I hate it. I don't have representation. Like I'm just trying to keep my head above water and not take on too much. Like from the time I've made the film, I've, I've done an hour. Um, I did an hour on November 4th in Baton Rouge with stand up. And then I did the keynote speech at Nichols on veterans day. Um, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of podcast interviews and stuff like that. So I'm just now getting to a point where like Monterey is kind of the last thing that I have for a minute. And I'm just trying to take a breath, man. Hold your breath and make it through. Yeah. 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 Hey, um, Chris, tell everybody where they, where they, how they need to follow you, where they need to go to see the movie, give them all the links so people can check it out and check you. Sure. Out. So, um, my Instagram, Twitter, and new uh, YouTube handle are all Mr. Mary Clarence. That's M-R. Um, Mary Clarence is in Sister Mary Clarence. Um, that's all my socials. Now, the link to the movie is, it's on YouTube, but the link's in my bio on my Instagram. Um, again, that's at Mr. Mary Clarence. Um, we'll YouTube put it in the channel. show notes. We'll put it in the show cool. notes as well. All right. yeah, yeah, my sure. YouTube channel, um, it's called stoned pigman cause I'm an ex cop. So like when you were talking earlier about, um, you know, you'd rather be on the side of getting like way more benefits and stuff than on the side. It's like, fuck you. Da-da-da. Like <laughs> I've been on both sides in that aspect. Um, and I don't know, I think there's, there's something endearing about, uh, those, those chants sometime, but clearly not, um, not for everyone. Um, that's a whole nother conversation we could have yeah, too. Absolutely. I, that was yeah. another thing that in the movie, I was like, did he just say he was a police officer? Yeah. I was like, what the yeah. fuck? And I was yeah. like, yeah. Well, well okay, that's, we'll, that's kind we'll of the point. Like I, I, I got out of the army. I did all the things people expected me to do. You know what I mean? Like I'm checking yeah. all these boxes cause I have yeah. this experience and that's the easiest job to get. So that's kind of how that happened. And I'm just doing these things to try to satisfy everyone around me. Cause that's what expected of me. Yeah. Um, 
So that's how that kind of happened. Knowing the whole time, like, this is not for me at all. It's just not set up. I wanted to be the guy to make a difference. It's not really set up to allow anyone to do that. Just the systems that we, that we have. Um, yeah. So Instagram, Twitter, all that, Mr. Mary Clarence. Um, my YouTube channel is called Stoned Pig Man. Um, and you can find the film on there. And I've got some other little ditties on there from like that same timeline where I'm just kind of riffing on shit. And you're kind of seeing me in a manic state, kind of just seeing, like, I've realized I've created something. And now I'm like, well, fuck, what am I doing? Like, you know, you're kind of watching me like react to watching it all in yeah. one well swoop like i couldn't sleep and i was like all right fuck it we'll just go back on on camera then <laughs> fucking trippy so, yeah, dude little... this was a blast chris let's keep talking man um to be yeah. continued this was oh this was awesome and um yeah i i can't wait for the next time man i can't wait Thank to see what happens much. with this film and with everything that you're doing i appreciate it chris thanks for having me it's a great time that was the savage wonder of chris sparks um as i said in the intro go down check out the film itself, Thank Me For My Service, A Veteran's Cry For Help. It is in the show notes, uh, so you can click on it right there and check it out. Um, and definitely, um, I'd love to hear your comments on it, your feedback, um, but definitely uh, post in a place that Chris can hear it also. Um, I think it's good. I think it's good for people to, to be able to chime in and for more eyeballs to get on it. I'll be interested to see what Chris continues to dev out from uh, this subject matter, uh, his one man show, um, even just his raw straight standup. Um, really interested to see how that goes. And in my heart of hearts, as you guys could tell, I was really trying to put my thumb on the scale. I would love him to turn that film into a comedy. I think it would get legs. I think it would, I think it would work on multiple levels. Um, if he kind of, I, I envision like a Jack Nicholson kind of, you know, irreverent, uh, you know, trippy, boisterous, raucous, anti-authoritarian, wild comedy that could ensue from just the premise of Chris's story of just a, a veteran comic trying to get two days to build a one-man show and getting besieged with uh, your request for his own good, for his own mental health to go see psychiatrists and all that. I think there's a lot of comedy fodder in that. Anyway. That's my two cents, as you guys heard in the episode. But I really think that would be funny. And I think Chris is a comic, and it's, you know, I don't think I'm, uh, I think it would make a ton of sense. Anyway, that's my personal point of view. Okay, um, stuff going on that you guys should know about. Not that much of VetRep. Um, you can always keep tabs on us by going to VETREP.org, VetRep.org, VetRep.org. You can see all of our lines of effort, see what we're up to. Um it will have links that will also take you to savagewonder.com where we talk about our Savage Wonder events, although those are also covered at vetrep.org. Um, but uh, that's probably your best move. Obviously, if you have not subscribed to our mailing list slash literary blog, that is truly the best way because I know sometimes it feels like moving mountains just to type in a web address. So if you sign up on our literary blog, um, you will get updates and veteran writing delivered straight to your inbox every single morning. Um, and that sounds like spam. It's not spam. It is. Yes, we do send you something every day of the week, but it's veteran writing. And then at the bottom of it, we put a bunch of shameless plugs. 
uh, about whatever we're doing, which right now pretty much boils down to this show, <laughs> this show and the blog. Um, cause every, we're going into our fallow period where, uh, from mid December to March, we try to reset, recalibrate. We will have a bunch of stuff going on. It probably will not be for public consumption, uh, play workshops, what have you. So, um, but we will be coming back, roaring back in April with shows at the parlor, Savage Wonderground events, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of cool stuff coming down the pike, but you'll hear more about that as we develop it. Okay. My thanks, as always, to our producer, Mike Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer on behalf of Veterans Repertory Theater. See you next time when we will dive further into the savage wonder of veterans in the arts. <laughs>